Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Bill Arnold here with you. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in today. I am shuffling my papers. I'm trying to make this noise, which you can hear, which uh, makes it sound like I'm organized, but I'm really not. But it doesn't matter. I don't have to be organized. I have an in-studio guest. Dr. Glenn Pickering is here, and there's nothing ordinary about Glenn Pickering. I mean, how many electrical engineers, when they say they want to go back to school, are talking about going to seminary? So then he's an electrical engineer and becomes a seminary, and then a seminarian, and then says, what the heck, I'm going to go get my Ph.D. in psychology. And then I thought, what are you going to do next, run off and join the circus? So anyway, he's my guest in studio. And if you have uh, uh, questions about relationships, um, just about anything, Glenn's the guy to ask. And 877-933-2484, if you've heard him before on my show, you know that you want to get your question in early because the phones, and uh, they all light up quick. Um, 877-933-2484 is also a text. You can text us a question to that number, and we can take text questions now. How cool is that? So we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to begin uh, with Dr. Glenn Pickering in just a minute. Hi, I'm Dick Whitworth, General Manager of Faith Radio. Our pastor recently preached on the healing of the blind man from John chapter 9. My guess is you know the story. Jesus and his disciples were still in Jerusalem. They encounter a man born blind from birth. And after some interaction with Jesus, he winds up making some mud from spittle, places it on the blind man's eyes, and when he washes it off, he can see. It is an amazing account of Jesus' healing power. But it really started out as a theological question or debate. Sadly, isn't that where many of us find ourselves today? We look at people and judge them on their issues or problems rather than seeing them as someone for whom Jesus died. Faith Radio exists to help believers connect faith to life. And a part of that mission is to encourage you to share the good news of Jesus Christ in a grace-filled way. Thank you for praying and supporting this ministry. You see, together we are making a difference for Christ. Welcome back to the show. It's six minutes after the hour. I always love when Dr. Glenn Pickering uh, comes to the studio, and he's awfully nice to do so because it's a sacrifice because I know when he leaves, he's going to be very stuck in traffic getting out of here. So I always appreciate when he comes in studio. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you know, we just had Oz Guinness on the show. We were talking yeah. about calling and purpose. Right. And you've hit me with this one before. Life's most dangerous question. Mm-hmm. What is it, my friend? What do you want? All right. So life's most dangerous question is, what do you want? How can we talk about that now? Because is it what I want? Is it what God wants for me? What is it? Here's a really tricky thing. We mess those up. I heard this great preacher on the radio oh, a while back. I wish I could give him credit because I, I don't remember who said it. He said, people always come to him and say, Pastor, um, I want to do what God wants me to do. What is God calling me to do? And he said, you don't get it. You are God's calling. God made you a certain way with certain interests and certain skills. So instead of saying, well, I don't want to do what brings me happiness or joy or pleasure. I want to do what God created me to do. And he looks at them like, 
See, you think those are different, but God created you exactly that way to do exactly what you're called to do. So we get sort of messed up in our mind about, well, am I supposed to do what God wants me to do or the thing that really brings me joy and peace and fulfillment? Yeah. And God looks at us with puzzlement and says, wow, you think those are different? And we get ourselves all messed up. So when God says to me, Glenn, what do you want? He's not worried that I'm going to come up with some crazy idea. All the things I want to do are things he made me to do, so he doesn't care which one I pick. Okay, let's talk about life's most dangerous question, though, because right. if I commit to something and I say, yep. this is what I want, yep. don't haven't I put myself in a place now where things have just gotten really scary? Because what if I don't get it, or what if I fail? Yeah, what if? <laughs> I get it, but come on. That's why it's life's most dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> but who who can address that, and who deal, who who says this is what I want? Well, here's the thing. So when Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given unto you, knock and the door shall be opened unto you, he's really trying to say the same thing to us. We always think, what does God want me to do? And God's always saying, what do you want? I will help you. I will open doors that you can't possibly do. Let me know what's on your heart. Let me know what you're passionate about right this minute, and I will start working on it. I like. I like it. We get that backwards so often. Yeah. I want to invite all callers and listeners right now to uh, join the conversation. Ask Glenn a question, whatever you like, 877-933-2484. If you have a question about a relationship or if you have a question about a conflict and you need some conflict resolution advice, you can certainly give us a call or text us at 877-933-2484. Here's one, Glenn. What's the best way to to be a a helpmate for a spouse? in an area that they're struggling with. Maybe they're struggling with past wounds or trying to find their calling in life. Uh, my spouse and I are having uh, have pretty busy schedules, and sometimes it seems that we are ships passing in the night. Is it common for marriages to experience seasons of distance or coasting? Well, we have to be really clear. Um, Bill, you've heard me say a million times because you hang around me so often mm-hmm. that in any given marriage, <clears throat> excuse me, we're always doing one of two things. We're either growing closer and closer together or drifting further and further apart. And so I say we're coasting. In other words, we are not actively growing closer and closer together. We need to be dead honest with ourselves. We are drifting further and further apart because those are the only two options. So that little piece of grass in my front yard doesn't get to be one inch tall and then think, yeah, you know, that's probably enough. That thing's going to keep growing until it's dead. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's true of everything God created. It's either growing or it's dying. One of those two are always happening. So it's really important to not even think that coasting is one of our options because it just isn't. Mm-hmm. And if I think I'm settling for that, I'm settling for a relationship that's getting more and more and more distant. So if my spouse and I have a relationship where we're both real busy and we can feel that drifting thing happen, we have to ask ourselves some really, really pointed questions. What am I doing that I don't need to be doing? One. Two, am I doing this life because I kind of like it? By which I mean some of us are uncomfortable with intimacy and we don't kind of know what to do with people who really, really don't want to be close to us. And it's just a lot easier to be busy. And we need to ask ourselves a really, really pointed question. Am I using my busyness to escape dealing with the stuff that we need to deal with? Mm. Because so often I see exactly that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask this question. I might yeah. ask Rebecca to jump in and help me ask this correctly. But is... When, when you're in a conflict and somebody is saying something to you, um, is it always about you or are they maybe revealing something about themselves? Well, they're for sure saying something about themselves, but I still need to hear it, and here's what I mean. 
Even if my beloved wife Gwen says to me, honey, that thing you just said really hurt my feelings. Now, she's talking about my behavior, that something I did hurt her feelings. But she's not trying to tell me about my behavior. She's trying to tell me what happened to her, that the thing I said was hurtful to her. So this is part of why I always say to people when I try to teach them about forgiveness, I say, when we seek forgiveness, we shouldn't be seeking business, uh, forgiveness for our behavior. We should be seeking forgiveness for the way our behavior impacted that other person. So if I was being silly or flippant or sarcastic and I hurt my honey's feelings because she felt sort of put down or like I was being condescending and that hurt her, made her not want to be with me because it feels icky, well, see, that's what I need to apologize for. Apologize for behaving in a way that made you feel bad about yourself because that's what actually happened. So even if they are telling me something about themselves, which is true, I need to really be careful because that thing they're trying to tell me about themselves that was hurtful to me is a key to what I need to apologize for. Mm. That sounds kind of complicated, doesn't it? Well, let me ask you this. Does your way work? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Powie. All right. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> See, that's the kind of sarcastic thing I say at home, and I probably shouldn't do. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Gwen's mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> I got, that's another question I want to ask you about your authentic self at home. Yes, because sir. let's talk about your authentic self. Let's, let's say you come home and you say to Gwen, oh, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I had this guy in my office today and counseling, and he's... He hosts a radio show and he's I know drives kind me of, crazy. Kind of, kind of not very bright and you know he's complaining <laughs> about all kinds of stuff and 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 Gwen needs you to come home and give her your best self. So you need to amp your game up a little bit. But maybe that's not your authentic self. But maybe that's good for you to do because that's what she should get and receive from you. I'm that's, pointing, right? I'm doing a lot of pointing I know, here that's in the right. studio. And so when you start pointing, I always know you get scary. So you should probably sit down and quit, take two steps back. Um, what I'm thinking is, as soon as we use those words like should, well, you should fail, you should listen, you should do this. See, we're already in a really bad place. The truth is, I'm incredibly introverted. And as some of you know, I'm actually all the way under the sort of autism spectrum, probably. And um, so it's entirely possible when I come home that I'm going to need to be quiet for a few minutes. Okay. And I see Jesus doing the same thing. He does some ministry thing, and he goes off to a lonely place to pray. He does something amazing. He goes off to a lonely place to pray to get filled up. And there's that continual back and forth. So part of my being a great husband, which, by the way, I am, um, is that I get that I need that quiet time. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm going to be really, really powerfully present to Gwen, I might need to be quiet for a few minutes first. Mm-hmm. Not because she doesn't matter to me, but because she does. And she deserves my best self, and my best self might need to be quiet for a minute. All right. If you have a question, uh, give us a call, 877-933-2484. Or if you have your phone out and you just want to send it as a text message, you can do that as well, 877-933-2484. Or if you want to just type out an email, you can send it to me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll take a short break and be back with Dr. Glenn Pickering in just a minute. Welcome back. It's 17 minutes after the hour. Bill Arnold in studio with Dr. Glenn Pickering. If you want to call uh, with any communications problem that you might be having in your personal life, maybe it's uh, with a relationship, maybe it's even at the job, you can uh, give us a call at 877-933-2484 or text us at the same number. Glenn, I would imagine a lot of people, couples come into your office 
when you are counseling them and they say, we have a problem communicating. Right. What do you say to that? Um, yeah, marriage is hard. Oh, just kidding. Um, I think... Um, <laughs> you say that? Yes. <laughs> because it is, isn't because it? Because it is hard. Yeah, yeah. I think oftentimes what they really mean is... Sometimes they even say we don't communicate. And I think, oh, no, you communicate a lot. You just do it poorly. But by which I mean that they have a pattern they get into. When they get angry, maybe, and it gets loud, and then they both just walk away. Or they try and talk about something, and it goes poorly, so they both shut down and nobody talks. Or they try and have a conversation about money, but somehow it always ends up going in a different direction. Or somehow what they're really saying to me is there's a pattern that happens where instead of having a conversation that's helpful to us, or that resolves a conflict, or that gives us a sense of direction, somehow we just end up having the same old dumb conversation over and over again. And um, and so part of my work with them is just help them understand, okay, what does that pattern look like? Because that pattern exists. That's why you're frustrated. And then we're going to talk about what I call the 50-50 rule, where we each take a hard look at, okay, what's my half of that pattern? I talk to people a lot about the game I call tag, where... We have this sort of knee-jerk instinct to want to not be the one who's it. And so we want to blame the other person or see what their part of that problem is. But it's really, really important that we give it some really prayerful thought and just ask God, help me to see my half of that. What am I contributing to that? And just so you know, it might be something you're doing, like my wife Gwen used to get really loud if we'd argue, or it might be something you're not doing, like what I used to do was to shut down, withdraw, pull away, isolate and so you could say, well, Gwen has a problem with anger because she's the loud one. But see, here's what I really got so convicted about. We both had a problem with anger. And she might have done it loud and I might have done it silent. But neither one of us had a clue about how to do that conflict situation in a way that was actually helpful. So we both had to learn how to break out of our way of doing things in order to have better conversations. Is the 50-50 rule that you're talking about, does that... Uh initially seem offensive to people? Oh, it's completely his fault. I know. It's interesting to me. I can tell um, in tag playing couples, I can tell where there's a person who's really, really sure the other one's the bad person because as soon as I talk about 50-50, they get mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I lose a lot of clients that way. Mm -hmm. But but I know that um, they can't actually keep being clients of mine for very long if they don't understand that. Because as long as people come and think, well, I know they're the problem, McLennan, you're just supposed to prove to them that they are. See, that relationship's going nowhere. Because I think all you're going to do in my counseling office is the same thing you do at home is make the other person feel bad. If you're going to do that, you could stay home and save yourself $180. Mm-hmm. Now, so I think it's important to think, no, we're going to do something different here than what you do at home. And here we're going to both slow down. And instead of pointing the finger at the other one, we're going to do exactly what Jesus said when he said, well, you see the speck in your brother's eye, you don't see the log in your own eye. We're going to slow down, prayerfully ask God, what is my half of that pattern? Now, Sometimes people can only see the other person's half, not because they're being jerks. It's just that that's more obvious to them. That's okay. All I have to do to know what my 50 is is ask myself, what's the flip side of that? I just, because we have, I always say to people, we have the exact same strengths as the people we marry and the flip side of their weaknesses. Same strengths, flip side of their weaknesses. So if my partner is too controlling, you can be absolutely certain I'm too passive. I tell you, my partner needs to be center of attention. I can promise you I'm a person who feels way more comfortable in the background. And we each have to address what's my half of that pattern because we each have the exact opposite flip side of whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even if I can only see my partners, that still tells me what mine looks like because it's whatever the opposite is of that. 
Yeah, here's a line from your book that I've actually memorized. I hope I have this accurate. You can tell me if it's accurate or not. But when you're talking about 50-50, this right. was the thing that sort of stuck in my head, and that is you could say to to the person you're talking to that you're in conflict with, mm-hmm. what is it about my behavior that contributes to our issue? Right. Love Oof. It. Yep. Bingo. Right. Now That's I'm, a mature approach. It's a right, it's a humble approach. I so often you know, the scriptures talk about humility a lot, and somehow people get that messed up in their head, like somehow that means low self-esteem. I think, no, no. Humility just means whatever there is that I need to learn, I want to learn it. I'm open to learning. Instead of being prideful, like, well, I already know everything, I already have it all figured out. No, humility says whatever there is to learn, I want to learn it. Mm-hmm. When uh, couples come into your office and there's obviously communication problems, what happens that starts to create breakthrough? Well, to be honest, that 50-50 thing often is a breakthrough. Okay. Because, how can I say, when we play tag, we're only worried, we're only asking the question, whose fault is it? And what do I want the answer to be? Not mine. So we're really just invested in making each other the bad one. The instant we start thinking, oh, I get it, I really do get it, we're both a part of this, we're already having a qualitatively different conversation. Just to even ask that question. So to go from the tag playing question, whose fault is it, to what I call the three helpful questions, which are, what's the pattern we get into? What's my half of that pattern? What do I need to do to change my half of that pattern? Now, those questions are super helpful. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, brain chemicals when you're in yeah. conflict, because are there, are there some things you just can't shut off because the train is going 100 miles an hour? <laughs> yes. I talk with couples a lot about taking what I call a... Um, a gracious time out. And what I mean by that is this. There's been some fascinating studies in the last few years that have proven clinically what I've seen my, in my counseling office over the years. And that's this. Once we have any adrenaline flowing in our brain, in our body, the blood flow to our prefrontal cortex pretty much stops. In other words, we're no longer doing what we would call thinking. Hmm. Now, this makes sense. Back in the old days, you know, if I'm being chased by a saber-toothed tiger... I'm not thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder. No, let me stop and look. Is this the African saber-toothed tiger I've heard about or the Asian one? I heard the African one has one more tooth. Let me see. I'm not doing that. No. I, I want every bit of my energy and every part of my brain to be doing one thing, and that's to run out of there as fast as I can. So the only part of my body that's working on my muscles and the only part of my brain that's working is the part that moves my muscles. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm literally not doing anything that we would call thinking. Okay? Yeah. It's okay. It's very helpful to us. We would not have survived as a species without this being true. Now, but here's the problem. So couples get into a conflict, it gets a little more escalated, and the adrenaline kicks in. It's really important for both people in that process to know they have now quit thinking. Which means everything they now say is not a thing they thought about. (laughs) It's literally just a knee-jerk thing that Mm. they can say without their brain even being engaged. Like, when I hit my thumb with a hammer, whatever words jump out of my mouth at that moment, I didn't have to think about that. But if I'm in an argument with somebody and we both have some adrenaline kicking in our body, it's easy to think, well, let's just keep talking about this. It's like, well, that's just crazy because we're not even in the, our brains aren't even working. <laughs> and and you're creating couple, more damage, aren't yes, you? Yes, and you're just more and more hurtful because you say more and more knee-jerk, stupid stuff that just comes out of your brain with no thought. It's so hurtful to people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I always try to tell people that... Um, when you can feel that happening, that the only thing you can do is just stop long enough for it to not be true. 
But if a couple or any two people at work, whatever, can feel that adrenaline kick in, they can feel themselves getting kind of hyped up, it's important to do whatever you need to do. Take a minute, take four minutes, walk around the block, do some prayer, do whatever it is to help you calm down. So then we can come back and have that conversation. Because otherwise, we're literally not even talking. So couples will come into my office and say, well, we had this terrible conflict last night. I said some awful things. I don't know what I was thinking. See, I know the answer to that question. They weren't. Mm-hmm. They were literally just saying words that they can literally say with little thought. Mm-hmm. So let's say, Glenn, that you they take your advice and yep. they go calm down. They take mm-hmm. a walk around the block. They pray. Mm-hmm. And they come back to rejoin the conversation and right. they're triggered instantly again. Right. Here's then what? To, here's how to break out of that. This is what I call taking a gracious time out. Most people, even if they do take a time out, all they do is go back to the corner and practice the ideas that they're already saying which just means they're going to just come back and have the same dumb conversation. <laughs> I teach people this. When you take a break so the adrenaline can wear off, while you're doing that, it's your job to think hard about what the other person was saying so that you can come back and summarize what they said. So you don't come back to reiterate your point. You can only come back when you're able to summarize what that person was telling you, and we're going to start the conversation from there. That's a Big uh, that makes a big difference. Honestly, it makes then you're all just, the difference. You're in just the world. not rehearsing what you're mad about. Exactly, which then just you're just getting more hyped up when you're supposed to be calming down, and I just come back with more adrenaline kicking in my body than I had before I left. Yeah. So when you're thinking about uh, the, the the chemicals that dump into your brain, <laughs> yep. like when you're trying to run from the saber tooth tiger. <laughs> yes. Can I tell you what the saber tooth tiger's thinking? Yeah, same ooh, thing. Ooh, yeah, exactly. Ooh, fast right. food. Uh huh. Right. Because so? it's still going to catch you and eat you, just so you know. Because <laughs> you can't, or you cannot run one of those. No, unless I find a really big tree pretty fast, I'm in deep, deep trouble, right? <laughs> I think they go up the trees too, Glenn. I think that illustration just uh, just dissolved yeah, they, that one. They can't get down, so they die in the tree. So it still still saves the next person. All right. It, uh, <laughs> if you have a question uh, for Glenn, you can give us a call or, or text us eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Um, Glenn, let's talk a little bit before we go to break. We only have about a minute here. Okay. Uh, but I want to ask about uh, being in sync. Is that a concept that when people come into your office and they talk about we don't communicate, do they ever say we're not in sync? Or we're yes. just, and then what is your response to that? You're not. Because once we play tag, we're both trying not to be it. So we are not on the same team. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make you it. You're trying to make me it. We're not in sync. The instant that we switch to think, okay, what's the pattern? How can we each help each other here? Now we're in sync. Now we're asking the same question instead of opposite questions. And at that moment, we can start moving in that synchronistic sort of way. Mm-hmm. Do you like that expression, being in sync? Or no, is that, I don't like it at okay, all. Okay, I wasn't sure if you did either because I don't really like it because I'm not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's interesting. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Dr. Glenn Pickering. Again, that number, 877-933-2484. You can also uh, email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. That number is also a text number, so get your phone out and text 877-933-2484. We'll be back in just a minute. Glenn Pickering is my guest in studio. We're having a conversation about communication, relationship, conflict, communication. Glenn, let me ask you, the phones are lighting up, so I don't know when our first call is going to get ready here, but as we navigate seasons of life, I think it was uh, 
Lewis Smeads, a pastor, who said, uh, my wife has been married to five different men, right. all of them yep. me. Right. And, you know, as we change, how do we keep adapting and um, and being gracious and merciful and loving when you feel like you're with someone different? In fact, that's the only way it does work. I remember I said earlier on the show that in marriage, we're either getting closer and closer together or drifting further and further apart. But for growing closer and closer together, that means we're both growing. Mm-hmm. So the only way a relationship like that or any serious relationship works is if we both are on that Christian journey where we'll keep learning, growing, getting deeper and deeper. So we form a connection that's deeper and deeper. Okay. I've got a caller, uh, wish to remain anonymous from Farmington. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. You're welcome. You have a question for Dr. Pickering. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, my wife and I, uh, a month and a half ago, were in a serious argument, and we've now since separated. Mm, sorry. Um, it appears as though this has been ongoing. Okay. Um, but I'm trying to get her to come to the table and talk through mediation before it gets any worse, like the dreaded D word. But she simply won't. And she implies she, she wants to do things separately and then come together. But I think the problem is we need to figure out first what happened and then go from there. When she says she wants to be separately and then come together, what does that mean exactly? Just to make sure I give an answer that makes sense. She would like to figure out things separately as in, what her issues are, what my issues are, and then come back together in the future and figure out if we've learned. See, I think there's some wisdom to that. I I want to be careful about it, of course, because sometimes when people separate, they just keep on moving more and more separate, and they just never get back together. So that's always a concern I would have. Um, But I also think, sort of like taking a time out, if I need to go off to my corner for a minute and think, okay, what was I doing? How did that go wrong? What were they trying to tell me? If I need just a little time to kind of get my thinking straight so I can come back and have a more intelligent conversation, that can be helpful. That means, though, that we have to use our time apart really wisely. I've talked to couples a lot about what I call um, constructive separation, by which I mean a separation is only helpful if we're very, very intentional about using it at that time to really, really learn about each other what we need to learn. And so... For me, if somebody says, I want us to be separate to figure things out, I'm thinking, okay, what are each of us going to do that are going to help us to do that? Because just being separate doesn't help me figure anything out. The great, uh, great question and great answer. Uh, thank you so much. And I have, uh, you know, my, I hope you worked that out. So thank you for calling. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I have another caller uh, also wishes to remain anonymous from St. Paul. Welcome to the show. You have a question. I do. Uh, My question is, I find that um, when I'm around my spouse, I just shut down emotionally. Like, I stop feeling what I'm feeling. My thoughts seem to go blank. Um, I I just sort of go into kind of a shutdown panic mode. And you were talking about um, how the brain kind of shuts down when you go into anxiety. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know how to deal with that. Well... Um, A, first I just want to validate that does happen. You're right. If we get really, really anxious, we really do quit thinking. So our thoughts are going to seem sort of blank or foggy, and it is going to be hard to even put our thoughts together. So my thinking is before he ever gets there, 
it's important mm-hmm. to ask yourself prayerfully, what is it I'm anxious about? What am I thinking is going to happen? Because anxiety is always sort of anticipatory. I'm anxious because I think something's going to happen. So what okay. in your mind is it that you think is going to happen? Um, you know, I, we just, I, I don't even in part, like, I don't know who I am I are anymore. And I, right. the, the feelings that I feel, I feel, you know, like our relationship is really uncomfortable. And, um, and so I just keep going in kind of a loop with that. And then, okay. so then I, I try to shut those emotions down cause I just kind of numb it out. Right. So here's a question. Are those emotions yeah. that are uncomfortable, that can mean a couple of different things. It can either mean, for example, I'm in a relationship that's really icky and hurtful to me, and so just thought, the thought of being around that person makes me uncomfortable. It's one possibility. Another one is that um, maybe I've been hurt in the past, maybe I've been abused, and the thought of actually being intimate, which I don't mean as a code word for sex, I just mean being close to somebody, actually is scary right. to me because in the past I got hurt from that. And so I start looking for reasons to put up walls or block things off just so I don't have to go there. Yeah, that that very sounds like that could very well be the case. Okay, so, and Bay, I'm sorry about that for you. Um, what I'm thinking is this, because if that's true, then see, the problem is not with your husband or with your husband coming home. The problem is that really, really ancient fear that you have in you, and it's going to be important to find a way to move past that old fear, because otherwise you're going to be afraid mm-hmm. to be close to anybody. So even if a friend gets too close, or even if you divorce this person and get married again, you're going to... Just keep finding that same pattern occurring, if that makes any sense. Right, right. And so, um, yeah, because it's the same blockage. Exactly right. I, I always say, if I told people my marriage was terrible, it was all Gwen's fault. If only I was married to the right woman, I'd finally be happy. Within I would get divorced, and within two years, I'd be married to her sister. <laughs> right. Because right. I would still have all my same strengths and weaknesses. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. So I would strongly urge you to get help about sort of taking apart that part of you that gets so afraid because there's a part of our brain called the amygdala that is always comparing the situation that's happening now to a situation that was scary in the past. If there's anything about what's happening now that triggers that, oh, my gosh, this is when I got hurt before, then my amygdala kicks in and I start feeling really scared because that's my brain's warning to me, hey, this looks dangerous to me, only because I'm relating to something that in the past was dangerous. So it's important to find a, right. important to find a counselor that can help you very, very gently take apart whatever it was that felt dangerous to you back then, so you can start moving forward in a different way now. Okay. There's there's that a there's a ministry called Prayer Ventures. I would urge you to go online and look them up. They work. It's a Christian group, really powerful, really good, and um and they work with people who've been hurt or traumatized through prayer to help them sort of move past some of that old woundedness. And I I can't recommend them highly enough. Thanks for the call. I hope you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you learned something as I did, just sitting and listening. Great, because cool. you always seem to take what you have and you take it right into the next relationship, don't you? Oh, always. Yeah. So uh, another caller wrote in: What's the best time to have a crucial conversation with a coworker or a spouse to bring up dissatisfaction of a situation? Well, there's a time and there's a way. So I'll talk about the time first because that's how the question was framed. And the time has to be not when the conflict is happening. Mm -hmm. Because then, once again, we've got the adrenaline going on. We're not going to have a rational conversation about it. So it has to be at a time when we're just calm. The second, if there's something they're doing that drives me crazy, 
before I can even have that conversation, I have to go right back to what I said about the 50-50 and about Jesus saying, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? And I have to ask myself really, really intently, what's my half of that? Early on in my marriage, things were going poorly, and I was sitting by the lake in this really beautiful Christian retreat center over and over asking God, how can I talk to Gwen about the things that bug me? How can I tell her about it? How can I? And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I asked that question a hundred different ways, and I got no answer, none. I finally thought, oh, I'm asking the wrong question. I started praying, God, what do I need to do different in our marriage? And boy, did I get answers for that question. <laughs> so even if there's a, conf- a conflict worker or spouse, I just need to always start, not by coming to them and telling them what they're doing wrong. I have to come talking about, here's the thing that happens between us. Here's a pattern that seems to occur when we're together. Here's what I think I might be doing that contributes to that. And I want to be in a conversation with you about that. So I'm inviting them into a conversation that's about us, not about them. And I'm starting out by showing a willingness to look at my part as opposed to making them extra defensive like the thing that's going to be all about them. Then I can have that conversation. All right, Glenn, let me ask you this, because when we talk about connecting to the amygdala, we'll remind you of a previous experience which right. will trigger fear. Right. All right, so let's uh, talk about What's living in our past that's right. paying rent in a studio apartment right. or maybe a one or two bedroom apartment that is just sitting there going, you remember me, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if this thing triggers, you're going to be a mess. Right. And if that's the case, maybe that's what your life is. And that's right. sad. It is way sad. And the um, the hard thing is, well, and it's been proven over and over, but I know just from my own clinical experience that it's true that there's something we're afraid of, and so we avoid it. Ten years later, we're not going to be any less afraid. In fact, we're going to be more afraid. It just doesn't help. We have to find some way to address that fear. So let's, I mean, how do we, how do we um, examine that? How do, we, mm-hmm. uh, di- how do we diagnose that? You know, one thing, it's, this is honestly where a counselor can be helpful because they can help you just really sort of slow down and think, okay, what is it that gets triggered Where does it come from? And then more proactively, what are steps, a series of gentle steps in that direction we can take? So, for example, I was afraid of dogs growing up. I got bit by a dog next door. A dog starts running towards me. That My amygdala kicks in thinking, I know what's going to happen now, and it's awful. And I get panicked. Mm -hmm. Didn't want that for my daughter. So as soon as she was old enough to have a dog, we bought a really small dog. Now, we bought a dog for her so she wouldn't have to go up being afraid. But we bought a small dog of a very gentle breed so that I could also start very Mm. gradually being less afraid. That's awesome. Because we have to put ourselves in the presence of something that's a mild version of a thing we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. So if I'm afraid of sex, for example, and my wife coming up and just starting to be sexual with it is not going to help. But if we can hold hands, if we can lay by each other, if we can gently hold each other, all those sorts of things that very, very gently let a person one step at a time start being less afraid of that old pattern. Because now your brain thinks, oh, we can do that differently. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm talking to Dr. Glenn Pickering. If you uh, want to have a, a question, oh, I'll give us a call, 877-933-2484. That's a number, and it's also a text message. You can also text us. A message, or you can email me, Bill at myfaithradio.com. Um, Glenn, let's talk a little bit about uh, the you know just the fables people live with because mm-hmm. that's part of their past, and yep. people might say, "Gosh, you know, Glenn, I got up in seventh grade to give a speech and I bombed, and people laughed, and and I I just I just don't never want to be in front of people again." Right. And they're bright and articulate, and yet they're living with this this irrational fear, I would call it. Right. And um, 
which I totally get. So the question is, okay, again, so I could just never do that, and then I'll spend the rest of my life being more and more and more gradually afraid of that. I can think, okay, if I was going to start to address that, what might I do? I might start going to Toastmasters where I give spe- very short speeches once in a while in front of six people who are very, very supportive of me. You know I mean? I'm, what can, I might just ask the Bible study leader if I could maybe help them lead the Bible study so just for a few minutes a week I might actually lead that or something that just lets me start gradually growing in that direction. If I come up against my fear full on, that fear will kill me every time. Mm-hmm. I need to find some way to very gently take that apart. So I can start having new experiences. So my amygdala, instead of thinking, this is scary, it's just thinking, oh, okay. I have a new experience with this, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Another question from a caller. Yeah. Uh, if someone is dealing with anger, not in a relationship, but towards a person, mm-hmm. a political person, maybe even President Trump, what's the best <laughs> way to deal with that anger? Um, I often think, of course, you know, we see people talk a lot about righteous anger, and I think mm, I have to ask myself, Am I angry just because my little ego got kicked off and I think, well, this is not how it should be. But, you know, God, nobody ever asked me if the world was created the way I think it should be. So that's just my little ego thinking. Or is there a part of me that thinks um, I am really, really committed to um, to young families or whatever that is. And if something's happening that I believe is violating those people that I'm really trying to serve or minister to, so there's a righteous anger about that, then instead of thinking to myself, Glenn, quit letting your ego get in the way on this, I need to ask myself, what can I do? And um, I just read this great, what's that gal who is the leader in the, the country we call Burma, but it's not really Burma? Uh, I don't know. Anyway. We'll go to break and we'll Google okay. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, she said, nobody's all that important and everybody's crucial. Say that again. Nobody's all that important and everybody's essential. I love it. Yep. Yeah. Myanmar. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. All right. If you uh, have a question, 877-933-2484. Dr. Clint Pickering is my guest in the studio. We'll take a very short break and be back with more in just a minute. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network, a ministry of University of Northwestern St. Paul. At Faith Radio, we work every day to bring you relevant Bible preaching and family-focused teaching that encourages and nurtures you in your faith. Has Faith Radio encouraged you? We'd love to hear from you. Call our Faith Line anytime and let us know how God has reached you through Faith Radio. The number is 877-93-FAITH. You're gifted, talented, uniquely created, and you have a heart for the lost. How does God want you to bring Jesus to those who have never heard? Go, be his voice by telling others about Jesus' salvation. Go, be his hands by demonstrating his love. Reach Beyond is looking for people with skill sets in IT, medical, and a variety of other areas. Find out more at reachbeyond.org slash go. Use your gifts to be Jesus' voice and hands. Reachbeyond.org slash go. Thirteen minutes until the top of the hour. Dr. Glenn Pickering is in the studio with me. Always enjoy his company and his presence and his wisdom and his insight. Uh, he's got a Living the Truth seminar coming up in September. You can access uh, all the information about Glenn at glennpickering.com. That's Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R 
www.ing.com. And uh, Glenn, give me a little uh, insight as to what the Living the Truth Seminar is. Well, I came to understand after years of doing what I do that, you know, I've been to thousands of marriage seminars myself, of course, and I always found them wanting because it felt like, okay, so there's this big group of people. We're going to listen to a lecture. Nothing actually changes for me when I'm there. And somehow I'm supposed to go home and put that into practice, and then I'll be changed. And God started working with me on getting ready to do a seminar back in 01. And I felt, even before I knew exactly how I was going to go, I felt like I had this clear vision that I wanted a seminar that couples could go to that would be transformational for them while they were there. So they could literally walk out feeling like our life is different. Oh, And I came to understand that there's no technique that can do that. Because the techniques don't make any sense until I understand two things. One, I'm incredibly precious to God. And two, my wife is incredibly precious to me. When I get that those two things are true, see, now all the strategies make a whole lot more sense, and now I actually want to do them. So first I have to walk people through a whole series series of experiences that help them not just know cognitively, but really literally experience how precious they actually are to our Lord and how precious their partner actually is to them and how lucky they are to have such a person in their life. And once we get that, see, suddenly all the techniques that I can teach them become way, way more powerful. Mm. All right, Glenn, here's a multiple, yep. multiple choice question. What is... C. It's already C? Okay. You're, you're good. You are good. I know, I know. You are very good. I'm psychic. No, people don't no, know. No, I get that. Right. So if you are having communications problems and you're, you're, are you A, mostly selfish, B, mostly dealing with fear, or C, mostly dealing with anxiety? Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> And you throw me a bone here, Wilma. Come on. No. (laughs) Um, See, those are all the same thing. You know, um, anxiety is just a way of talking about fear, so those are the same answer. And why do I get self-centered? Because I'm fearful. Anxiety makes us self-centered, which is why people talk about um, this world as being a struggle between good and evil. And, of course, there's truth to that. But there's a more fundamental truth, I think, that it's a struggle between love and fear. Good and evil exists, but it always comes second. First, I have to choose, am I going to be loving, caring about others, or fearful, at which point I only become defensive and protective of myself. So if I'm caught up in anxiety and fear, I am only thinking about myself, which is why A, B, and C are all true. (laughs) Great answer. Thank you. I think uh, Rebecca has a question for you. I was wondering on the topic of communication, Glenn. Yes, um, Because we we want to get better at this in any circle, but especially in marriage and those essential relationships. So there there is a difference sometimes between what we're saying or communicating and what the other person is hearing. And I think some of that has to do with interpretation, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure it goes on 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 both sides. But if you're saying something and the other person is reacting completely differently because they're hearing what they believe is the intention behind what you're saying, it it. And that can be really hard to bring some clarity to it when you can't talk it out because right. you're not hearing what, what the other person's actually saying. Right. How do you start taking that apart, making it better? Beautiful question. So let me take that apart because there are several parts to it. One, um, actually, what is the truth? And oftentimes couples come to my office and say, well, let me know there's two sides to every story. And I think, no, there's actually three. There's his truth, there's her truth, and there's the truth. And trust me. None of those are the same. (laughs) So we all have our own very, very biased version of the truth. And his truth and her truth are just two differently biased versions of whatever it is that actually happened. And we just need to know that that's true. We have to be humble enough to admit that's always true. Second, I talk to people a lot about how in the game of tag, nobody tells the truth and nobody hears the truth. 
So if I don't want to be it, I shut down or I blame somebody else, but I never talk about myself. So when I'm talking, I never talk about myself. I always talk about you and what you're doing wrong, which is why Jesus said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You can't see the log in your own eye. But we don't hear the truth either. So just like when we're speaking, we don't talk about ourselves. We make that mistake when we're speaking. When we're listening, we make the mistake of thinking that the thing that other person is saying is about us. But it never is. They're always, every single time, just trying to tell me something about themselves. So if I'm misinterpreting it or I can, I'm listening, I can feel I have an intense reaction at any level, I can promise you what just happened is I made something you said about me. So if Gwen says to me, hey, that thing you just said hurts my feelings. Oh, so you're saying I'm such a sarcastic blah, blah, blah. No, 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 Glenn, you just made that about you. I'm trying to tell you that I'm over here and my feelings are hurt. That's what I'm telling you. Oh, okay. (laughs) So just think, anytime we have those bad reactions in conversations or it goes badly or we misunderstand each other, I promise you, it's because we took something that the other person was just trying to tell us about themselves and we made it about us. And if I and if I can feel that anxiety or adrenaline rising up in me, I, there's a 100% probability that I just took something you said and made it about me. And i got to come back and think, no, 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 no. What did my partner just tell me about themselves? Because we're so egocentric when we make everything about us, but it just isn't. Well, how do we not listen? I mean, a lot of people listen autobiographically. Yes. And they, you, you're told something and you instantly relate back to them a similar story that you had. Right. Because I think what you're trying to do is sympathize or identify with them. But really what you're doing is you're, you're just not really listening to them. Right. So I always tell the people, Glenn and I call that, I know a guy named Bob. I uh, was talking to a little five-year-old little nephew of mine years ago. But um, my Uncle Bob, and he said, I know a guy named Bob, and he started telling me a story from kindergarten. <laughs> and I think, right, we all do that. We hijack the conversation. So I think if I really am trying to show that I just understand, then I immediately hand the conversation back. So if somebody said, oh, I was to camp, and it was a terrible experience, and I say, oh, yeah, I know. I had some bummer experience with myself at camp. So, so what happened for you? See, the trick is not – I can say that first sentence. That shows empathy. But the trick is, is my second sentence now also about me, or do I hand the conversation back to them in some form of a question? Mm, I like that expression, hand the conversation back to them. Right. Otherwise, I just hijack it, and I made their conversation all about myself. But if you receive what they're trying to tell you, you might, right. it might require sympathy and compassion and empathy, which right. you may not have. Then what? Like, give me an example, because you're so compassionate. How could this ever happen for you? Well, I'm not saying it's me. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying when, when people, it's a lot easier, it's a lot less risky just to, just to give an autobiographical story. Right. Because that way I'm back in control and I'm not, I'm not listening. I mean, listening is a lost art, don't you think, Glenn? And it's well, exhausting to listen. And well, to, it's, it's actually exhausting not to. We work so hard at not listening. Think about this. So I could go on and on now, tell my story about camp and blah, 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 and or I could just think, oh, yeah, I had a crummy experience at camp, too. What happened to you? You know how much effort that takes? None. Yeah. I just think it's not that listening is hard. It's that it's too easy. We get caught up in being way more complicated. And I think, honestly, listening is not a thing I have to practice. It's that I have to practice dropping all the things I do instead of listening. All right, Glenn, how do we suspend our history with someone Mm-hmm. When we know they have a pattern of doing something, and yep. maybe they're coming and they honestly need to tell you what happened, yep. 
They need to have you hear them. Yep. But you know their history, so you can't go there. And because why? Because your 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 wiring says, "Oh, they did it again." Right. I can't believe that. I'm going to listen very carefully and make sure I get it, and then I'm going to say, "So, what do you do, do different next time?" Not harshly. I mm-hmm. just want to. And people who know me know I'm going to listen carefully, and then I'm going to ask them that question. And if they don't like that question, they should probably quit talking to me. Okay, let's talk about tone because tone is everything, right? Yep. Uh, tone and body language. Well, how do we do that better? Thank you. Now, you've heard me talk a million times about how everything goes think, feel, do. My mm-hmm. thinking totally drives my feelings, and my feelings drive my behavior. So if people say, well, Glenn, I want my tone to be different. I want- Twelve minutes till the top of the hour. If you are in your car driving home, I'm awfully glad you've uh, decided to tune into Faith Radio. Thank you for listening. Bill Arnold is here with you. Also in studio is John and Pam Bloom. John, you might know as uh, founder of uh, co-founder of Desiring God. DesiringGod.org is where you can go find all of his writings. And his uh, wife Pam is in studio with us as well today, which is awfully exciting. I'm gonna. My goal is to get the whole Bloom family in here at one point. <laughs> we had your son Levi in. <laughs> I'm just going to keep knocking them off one a week, maybe until <laughs> we get all that accomplished. So if we are talking about following the prompting of the Holy Spirit to take action, action's a big word, um, there's going to be opposition to that, John. I would, I would guess that the enemy is going to be trying to discourage you, put as many lies and bad thoughts in your head that would keep you from initiating a conversation with someone mm. or reaching out. Mm. That's so... We talk about following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, we receive, and, the, and of course, the, this is a, it's, it's qualitatively different because this is not. You know, we have the Spirit indwelling us, unholy or demonic spirits that might be oppressing us, tempting us, uh, whatever. Um, they they exist outside of us, but um, they certainly want to influence what we do and what we don't do, and are active. They are active in trying to, to prevent things like Pam was sharing, you know, so, so any chance that they can get us to shut us up and, and just kind of withdraw in, in fear, they will do. And that's one of the reasons why, why sharing your faith can be so nerve wracking is there's a lot of noise going on that we don't recognize. We don't recognize what it is. It's just, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, and, we need to begin to recognize what, where that's coming from and learn not to listen to it. I love it. You know, I, I think of that situation, that scenario where there is an emergency, whether it's on an airplane or in a restaurant. Is there a doctor here? <laughs> yeah. And the doctor doesn't think, well, let's see, I'm not in my white lab coat, coat right now. I don't have my stethoscope around my neck. They didn't come and make an appointment. The heat he or she jumps into action and saves a life. Yeah, um, we need to have a little bit more of that mentality, don't we? It's like we yeah. we need to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah, we also need to develop um, determination because we are in a war. We, we we often talk about spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare can kind of have this weird thing, and we can maybe think about it as a metaphor, like a like we use it. Uh, you know, spiritual warfare is you know as a as a metaphor. It spiritual warfare is not a metaphor; it is a reality. Mm. We are caught in a in a in the line of battle. This is a war zone. 
going on. There's a spiritual war zone. We have the powers of darkness that are seeking to enslave people and keep them enslaved, keep them blinded, as um, 2 Corinthians 4 says, that, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. There is war going on. So if there's any metaphor, if warfare is a metaphor, earthly warfare is more like a, a metaphor for the reality of spiritual warfare than the other way around. And and we have to become both more wise and less intimidated and more determined because as Christians, we, we have a th- authority to resist and overcome. And it's, and so I want to say that we have, we have, we have authority to resist temptation, resist threats, resist the, the, the devil's um, intimidation. But we have more than, than just the power to resist. We have the power to fight back. We have the power to overcome. And, and so that's, I wrote an article uh, Bill, that you were referring to, don't underestimate the enemies of your soul that went up, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that, that's what this is all about, is we need to understand what, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 3 about the schemes of the devil. We need to understand what those are and what we're given these, what we call the, 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 the armor of God, right, from Ephesians 6, the armor of God. We, we need to understand what the armor is and what it's for and that the fact that we that it's there to use and if we're not using it we're we're demonstrating that we don't really believe that we're in a war. Mm, I like it. You know John there's that expression in Pam what would Jesus do with those bracelets? I have a friend of mine who who always says the opposite is what would Satan want? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it's helpful if you think you're in a situation where you could share or reach out to somebody. Yeah. And if you thought to yourself, well, what would Satan want? He would absolutely not want you to say a thing. Right. And that's like, forget it. I'm going to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it almost makes you mad. It's yeah. like, that's not going to happen. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to go and make that conversation. I'm going to, as awkward as I might feel, as embarrassed as I might get, forget about it. I'm going to do it anyway. That's right. That's right. My blood pressure just went up. You know, you know. I got to calm down, John. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. You, you talk. You know. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm all worked up. You you know where the line is, where uh, the where the battle line is by where the resistance is. All right. Pay attention to resistance, internal resistance. Like, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't feel, I feel afraid about doing that. I, I feel anxious about doing that. Yes, there's indwelling sin that, that feeds some of that stuff. Yes, there's pride. There's things like that. Um. But pay attention to resistance because it's often telling you things that you're not immediately aware of. Um, There are things that Satan does not want you to do because if you do it, you are encroaching on his territory and may do damage. Also, note where things are easy. You know where it's easy? Hmm. Pride, anger, self-indulgence. All you know, lust. Why is it so easy to go that way? There's no resistance. In fact, there's encouragement to go that way. Why? Why? Why is why is there so much encouragement? Why is why does there seem to be no resistance? And why is it so hard to move this other direction? Because there's a war going on. Yeah. And if you actually go toward the resistance, you will move toward joy, and you will move uh, in the direction of God, because we know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. And the devil 
will oppose you. So pay attention. Pay attention to the resistance. You know, because I love stories like this, I want to keep having stories like this, and I want listeners to share stories like this, because this is how Christians should talk to each other. Guess who I reached out to today? Yes. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And it's great that you've got in your history a story of it happening maybe once, but it shouldn't be just a one and done. It should be something that happens every week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's some laughter to be had if you really fell on your face, because let's not take ourselves too seriously. Right. Let's be fools for Christ. Yep. Yep. I'm getting exactly. all, I'm getting all yeah. you know, blood I've pressure's often, going up again. I've often wondered, this phrase has gone through my head over the years, like, what if the evangelists are the happiest people? And I think anyone who's really working in their gifts would say what they do, they are like the happiest people, like maybe radio talk show hosts are the happiest people like you're no thriving in what you do or I no doubt. they like they love what they're doing and i have never i would typically think like an evangelist would be someone who's either i have a stereotype and then i have sermons that i've heard where we can all feel like oh i'm kind of guilty that i haven't been witnessing but it, it just gives me a new paradigm that just talking about jesus in a simple way about how what he means to me what he's doing, what makes me happy about him, like how has he set me free? It's more winsome than I used to think. And not that I necessarily need to put on an evangelist identity, but what if we all are, and if we did a little bit of speaking about him more than we do, we would find like that is way easier and happier than I thought it could be. I'm sure there'll be days where it's awkward and it you get... And maybe just we need to be reminded that we need to trust God to do with our words what he wants to. I mean, John and Pam, don't you think of of Jonah? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his whole message. And everybody got saved. Yeah. And here's, here's a beautiful thing to notice. Satan wants us to believe that evangelism is hard, it's intimidating, you're not going to have the right answers, blah, 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 blah. Um, actually, most of the fact, effective evangelism happens with simple things like Pam has shared. Mm-hmm. Because God chooses the, the f- quote-unquote foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And, uh, and so it's these little things that God does to undo <laughs> the devil. And it doesn't need to be a huge deal, but we do need to know the war that we're in and, and arm ourselves to fight. Yeah, I want to close the show with great gratitude to John and Pam Bloom for coming into the studio today. But also uh, a comment a listener made. Uh, the listener said, it's always impossible until it's done. Right. Then it's done and you go, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't impossible. It wasn't even that with, hard. With man, it is, Im- is impossible. With God, yes. all things are Matthew possible. Matthew nineteen twenty six. That's been a, uh, a great uh, having you in studio. Thank you so much for coming in. That wraps up our show. If you want to pass this episode or anything you heard today on to a friend or listen to it again, go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can check it out on the podcast. That wraps up uh, tonight's show. Thank you so much for listening. It's been great being with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.